0: Chapter Seventeen of Bracebridge Hall by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Fortune telling. Each city, each town, and every village affords us either an alms or pillage. And if the weather be cold and raw, than in a barn we tumble on straw if warm and fair by cock and cock, the fields will afford us a hedge or a haycock merry beggars as i was walking one evening with the oxonian master simon and the general in a meadow not far from the village we heard the sound of a fiddle rudely played and looking in the direction from whence it came we saw a thread of smoke curling up from among the trees the sound of music is always attractive for wherever there is music there is good humor or goodwill we passed along a footpath and had a peep through a break in the hedge at the musician and his party when the oxonian gave us a wink and told us that if we would follow him we should have some sport it proved to be a gypsy encampment consisting of three or four little cabins or tents made of blankets and sailcloth spread over hoops that were stuck in the ground it was on one side of a green lane close under a hawthorn hedge with a broad beech tree spreading above it a small rill tinkled along close by through the fresh sward that looked like a carpet a tea-kettle was hanging by a crooked piece of iron over a fire made from dry sticks and leaves, and two old gypsies, in red cloaks, sat crouched on the grass, gossiping over their evening cup of tea. For these creatures, though they live in the open air, have their ideas of fireside comforts. There were two or three children sleeping on the straw with which the tents were littered, a couple of donkeys were grazing in the lane, and a thievish-looking dog was lying before the fire. Some of the younger gypsies were dancing to the music of a fiddle, played by a tall, slender stripling, in an old frock coat, with a peacock's feather stuck in his hat-band. As we approached, a gypsy girl, with a pair of fine, roguish eyes, came up, and, as usual, offered to tell our fortunes i could not but admire a certain degree of slattern elegance about the baggage her long black silken hair was curiously plaited in numerous small braids and negligently put up in a picturesque style that a painter might have been proud to have devised her dress was of a figured chintz rather ragged and not over clean but of a variety of most harmonious and agreeable colours for these beings have a singularly fine eye for colours. Her straw hat was in her hand, and a red cloak thrown over one arm. The Oxonian offered at once to have his fortune told, and the girl began with the usual volubility of her race. But he drew her on one side near the hedge, as he said he had no idea of having his secrets overheard. I saw he was talking to her instead of she to him, and by his glancing towards us now and then, that he was giving the baggage some private hints when they returned to us he assumed a very serious air zounds said he it's very astonishing how these creatures come by their knowledge this girl has told me some things that i thought no one knew but myself the girl now assailed the general come your honor said she i see by your face you're a lucky man but you're not happy in your mind you're not indeed sir but have a good heart, and give me a good piece of silver, and I'll tell you a nice fortune. The general had received all her reproaches with a banter, and had suffered her to get hold of his hand. But at the mention of the piece of silver, he hemmed, looked grave, and, turning to us, asked if we had not better continue our walk. Come, master, said the girl archly, you'd not be in such a hurry if you knew all that I could tell you. About a fair lady that has a notion for you come sir old love burns strong there's many a one comes to see weddings that go away brides themselves here the girl whispered something in a low voice at which the general colored up was a little fluttered and suffered himself to be drawn aside under the hedge where he appeared to listen to her with great earnestness and at the end paid her half a crown with the air of a man that has got the worth of his money the girl next made her attack upon master simon who however was too old a bird to be caught knowing that it would end in an attack upon his purse upon which he is a little sensitive as he has a great notion however of being considered a roister he chucked her under the chin played her off with rather broad jokes and put on something of the rake hellish air THAT WE SEE NOW AND THEN ASSUMED ON THE STAGE BY THE SAD BOY GENTLEMEN OF THE OLD SCHOOL. "'Ah, YOUR HONOR,' said the girl, with a malicious leer, "'you were not in such a tantrum last year, when I told you about the widow, you know who. "'But if you had taken a friend's advice, "'you'd never have come away from Doncaster races with a flea in your ear.' There was a secret sting in this speech that seemed quite to disconcert Master Simon, he jerked away his hand in a pet smacked his whip whistled to his dogs and intimated that it was high time to go home the girl however was determined not to lose her harvest she now turned upon me and as i have a weakness of spirit where there is a pretty face concerned she soon wheedled me out of my money and in return read me a fortune which if it proved true. AND I AM DETERMINED TO BELIEVE IT, WILL MAKE ME ONE OF THE LUCKIEST MEN IN THE CHRONICLES OF CUPID. I SAW THAT THE Oxonian WAS AT THE BOTTOM OF ALL THIS ORACULAR MYSTERY, AND WAS DISPOSED TO AMUSE HIMSELF WITH THE GENERAL, WHOSE TENDER APPROACHES TO THE WIDOW HAVE ATTRACTED THE NOTICE OF THE WAG. I WAS A LITTLE CURIOUS, HOWEVER, TO KNOW THE MEANING OF THE DARK HINTS WHICH HAD SO SUDDENLY DISCONCERTED MASTER SIMON and took occasion to fall in the rear with the oxonian on our way home, when he laughed heartily at my questions and gave me ample information on the subject. The truth of the matter is that Master Simon has met with a sad rebuff since my Christmas visit to the hall. He used at that time to be joked about a widow, a fine, dashing woman, as he privately informed me. I had supposed the pleasure he betrayed on these occasions resulted from the usual fondness of old bachelors for being teased about getting married, and about flirting, and being fickle and false-hearted. I am assured, however, that Master Simon had really persuaded himself the widow had a kindness for him, in consequence of which he had been at some extraordinary expense in new clothes, and had actually got Frank Bracebridge to order him a coat from Stultz he began to throw out hints about the importance of a man settling himself in life before he grew old. He would look grave whenever the widow and matrimony were mentioned in the same sentence, and privately asked the opinion of the squire and parson about the prudence of marrying a widow, with a rich jointure, but who had several children. An important member of a great family connection cannot harp much upon the theme of matrimony without its taking wind, and it soon got buzzed about that Mr. Simon Bracebridge was actually gone to Doncaster races with a new horse, but that he meant to return in a curricle with a lady by his side. Master Simon did indeed go to the races, and there with a the new horse, and the dashing widow did make her appearance in her curricle, But it was unfortunately driven by a strapping young Irish dragoon, with whom even Master Simon's self-complacency would not allow him to enter into competition, and to whom she was married shortly after. It was a matter of sore chagrin to Master Simon for several months, having never before been fully committed. The dullest head in the family had a joke upon him, and there is no one that likes less to be bantered than an absolute joker. He took refuge for a time at Lady Lilycraft's, until the matter should blow over, and occupied himself— by looking over her accounts, regulating the village choir, and inculcating loyalty into a pet bullfinch, by teaching him to whistle, God save the king. He is now pretty nearly recovered from the mortification, holds up his head, and laughs as much as any one, again affects to pity married men, and is particularly facetious about widows, when Lady Lillycraft does not buy. His only time of trial, is when the general gets hold of him who is infinitely heavy and persevering in his waggery and will interweave a dull joke through the various topics of a whole dinner time master simon often parries these attacks by a stanza from his old work of cupid's solicitor for love tis in vain to woo a widow over long in once or twice her mind you may perceive widows are subtle be they old or young, and by their wiles young men they will deceive. End of chapter 17 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida